Listen up. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast. It's going to be an intense, kind of scary ride. The podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. The PowerShell Podcast is a PDQ production, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. Another moment you've all been waiting for. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Jordan. With me is the legend, the absolute PowerShell mega beast, the reason anyone tunes in, Andrew Plaw. Hey, I like it. I switched it up for you. You, Thank you got you. the nice intro. Yes. I'm, I'm often like, what do I say after that? I'll just accept it and roll and pretend like, yeah, that's me. So it's got to be a burden to hear all of that praise all the time, but it's just something you have to live with. It is a little wonky at times, definitely. But, you know, it's a thing I have to live with and, and I accept it. But you know what? Also, I accept amazing contributions from the community. And that's what we're here to talk about today. And I want to get things started off big time with friend of the show, Clayton, dropping a very cool blog about how ChatGPT saved our company $1,500 in less than 15 minutes. A very good article about how. Clayton saved his company 1500 bucks in 15 minutes with some work on a PowerShell script. Read it for yourselves. Very cool. Share it with your friends. Uh, awesome article. Concur. Like that, I'm contributing again. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same wavelength, man. All right. Uh, so we also so want to go into what they, the GitHub for Deadly Dog, where he has PowerShell tips like to help yeah. you for your terminal. So yeah, it's a cool little module, Deadly Dog, our friend, recent friend. Yeah, it's a way to deliver PowerShell tips straight to your terminal. So install module, name, tips. Um, so it's published, but check out the GitHub repository. We will have a link in the show notes. But there's one other one in there that I'd also like to highlight, which is from Killasuit. And that's Ryan Yates is his real name. He has a cool blog about installing PowerShell side-by-side -side for testing purposes. I know that's a use case we often hear uh, people running into, so this can help you get started and give you some perspectives in that area. What an amazing community we have here, right? How lucky are we? The best. Like I said, we get uh, some of the people that have SQL that's like, well, that's just as good, and they're wrong. Oh, they they're privileged to be part of the first and second best communities. Unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but it's clearly PowerShell's first. Mm. You know, I feel that way, but I haven't experienced enough of SQL community. But I'll say from what I have seen, they got something going on for sure. Well, everyone we've interviewed that uh, stretches across those, it's, they're, they're delightful. So it's got to be great. Yeah. Enough of us. Let's get to the real reason people tune in. We have returning guest, Megastar. And this time I'm not going to give the wrong job title. Uh, Gilbert Sanchez from Meta. Meta. My goodness, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Oh my God. That was, uh, I was going to say that, that I think you had the best uh, Andrew intro uh, for this recording, but uh, I'm pretty happy with my intro. That was a great intro. Um, I also like how you, you're starting holy wars between the DBA community and like yeah. the community. We are friends. And, you know, some to, even in friendships, there's a best and it's, it's PowerShell. <laughs> He's going <laughs> hot takes with Jordan. Welcome. <laughs> like it. So been seeing you around a lot and I've been thinking, man, we needed to chat with our friend again. It's been too long. I think we shared a couple of your blogs a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. Thanks for that. You were, yeah. You're exploring the console and some cross platform stuff there. So how have you been? Good. Yeah, man. Uh, things are good. Uh, doing a lot of, you know, testing across different OSs, and uh, I tend to want to share some of this stuff to to folks when they start to ask. And then I realize that it's probably better that I write up a post, even if it's like transitory um, or like changing, um, just because it's you know easier to point folks to one thing. Um, it's funny in that blog series, like the first thing I wanted to do was sort of like lay down the groundwork. Um, so that way the, the like following posts weren't going to be like 
too deep. Like I always kind of shoot for like five minutes. If you can read it in five minutes, you'll probably get something out of it. And if it's not for you, you can, you know, you, you skip it. Um, but if you're like, what is this thing? You can at least jump to that first post and kind of be like, what does he mean by console? What does he mean by terminal? Right. Cool. I'm pretty sure the exact same thing, right? They, um, they're like the same thing, but they're a little different. <laughs> how are they See different? how I set you up to educate our listeners. Oh, I know. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Refer me, to um, the blog. <laughs> yeah. Please here. I have a blog for you to read. Um, and I'll tell you what the difference is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I could, I could give, I could give the TLDR of that blog post pretty quickly. I mean, um, so the difference between what were you saying it was console and, and what was the one that you got terminal. Confused? terminal terminal yeah so the terminal is like the app right um, uh, that actually like so that would be like Windows terminal um, for most people kind of conflate the two because they tend to be the same thing so you launch like CMD or you launch Windows PowerShell and that you know opens up a terminal but um, what you're like talking to is actually a console so. Um, this kind of goes back to like, you know, the early days of, you know, uh, systems like, you know, I'm going to like slaughter all the names. So, um, but yeah, it's essentially what used to be a console that you would go sit at. Now you have a terminal that can, can kind of talk to that. Cool. And I guess like uh, programs like PowerShell ship with kind of like a default one. And that's what you're referring to, uh, people using the default terminal. Yeah. Uh, cool. Okay, so what terminal are you using? Yeah, so uh, one of the posts that you guys talked about recently was the the Wes term uh, terminal. So I was looking for something that I could run on uh, consistently between OSs, and uh, Wes term is written in Rust and compiled to to work on anything. So uh, pretty regularly, I'm jumping between between you know Linux distros and uh, a Mac machine in uh, a in a lap in a PC, you know Windows laptop. Um, and so I wanted something that I could try to, you know, keep consistent between all the OSs and, uh, mostly cause I was tired of, you know, getting the wrong key bindings and, you know, where I could control, you know, shift left to jump words like that suddenly broke on other OSs and stuff like that. So I just wanted something where once I get my muscle memory going, I don't have to, to undo that. It's the way to do it. Now, what's your prompt looking like these days? Um, so I'm using Starship, uh, again, because I wanted something consistent between OSs. Uh, I know Oh My Posh is another very popular one um, that is actually written in Go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't recall, you know, I don't know that there's one is better than the other. I think I just, I like Starship and how it, it looked and how it was configured. And so, um, yeah, I just um, kind of, started using starship um but i think i talk about that in some of my blogs is is sort of the one of the things i want to be able to do is to be able to swap stuff and so if the prompt uh program like or tools don't allow me to kind of ship that you know configuration easily that's usually kind of a non-starter right like i commit my stuff to you know my public dot files repo and um when i'm setting up a new box i just you know, pull that repo down, run my setup scripts, and then now my repo set up again. That's one way to do it, man. Very cool. Yeah. It's nice having a consistent experience, and it seems like you've taken it to the next level. But as IT professionals or people who do things with computers, we're often in terminals. So really honing in that experience and refining it to what works best for you definitely seems advantageous especially because you can bring it with you. You can use it on different OSs and all that, you know, kind of versatile. Yeah, I found myself, uh, especially dealing with machines that are like ephemeral, where I know I'm going to have it for a few weeks. Um, so I want to make it, you know, comfortable, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to manually set up everything over and over again. And I think it's just that automation mindset, right? Of how do I make it so that this is just easy for me to start next time I get started. Another way is to just accept the defaults. I, yeah, I was looking at Jordan. <laughs> so I was, I was going to say my current method is uh, I just constantly reinstall and do it manually and forget anything that I do have. Uh, do you have 
any data to back up that your method of having it specifically how you want without any work is better than struggle? Um, do I have any? No. I mean, this is also, you know, I, 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 you know, I think back to, you know, um, what some of the guests have talked about, like living off the land, like keeping minimal, like keeping it to a minimal. Right. I think if my work was, was, you know, visiting different, you know, uh, companies and, and having to work in their systems, this is probably not something I would do. I would definitely learn you know, live off the land, right? It's why I know how to use VI because if I ever get on a on a Linux system, I need to know enough VI to be able to edit some files. Um, and and you know, it's not my same Vim with all my sweet plugins, but I can do enough work to to kind of be able to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. So um, it's not that it's better or worse. It's you know, it's it's just different. I think that's one of the rare cases where you're safe to say it's better. Like no one's going to give you a pushback. <laughs> I mean, it's better for me, right? Like, uh, you know, I definitely know people who are like, they don't want to, they don't want to you know, touch anything. And, you know, their muscle memory is, you know, baked to that, you know, to the sta- to the standard. Right. And for me, what, where that gets tricky is like switching between OS. That's, that's where it was like that, having to switch from windows, you know, PowerShell mode to like bash to, you know, to ZSH to, you know, whatever. Um, the cost was just starting to become too high for me. Cause I was doing that on enough of a regular basis that it just felt like a problem that should be solved. So I am, I'm looking through the list of the shells that you were using and I'll notice only one of them worked on every single operating system. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm definitely pushing folks towards a, uh, towards towards the one true shell. Yeah. There's pretenders. There's other things, but everyone knows PowerShell is where you go. Greatest thing ever created. I mean, you know, I uh, I was recently referred to uh, at work uh, in a work post as uh, they cc'd me and said uh, CC Gilbert, uh, known PowerShell lover. So I'll, I'll take that with uh, I'll take that with pride. <laughs> that is I should get praise. that. I should get that printed and, and you know put on a. Is it, is it too late to change your job title to known PowerShell lover? Because I would you know it's that. not actually. Uh, I uh, we have uh, we have the ability to set our own titles, which is how I got to become uh, senior systems engineer. Uh, and yeah, I mean, PowerShell lover could be the new title. <laughs> <laughs> Known PowerShell Power lover. lover. <laughs> <laughs> so is any of this because we had recently a guest, uh, Jason Helmick, that talked about Cloud Shell, which is basically a show where you can do a lot of this, but it's just kind of automatically online. Is that something where it duplicates some of this or is that just more only for your uh, Azure or AWS space? Yeah, so I'm not super familiar with Cloud Shell, but from my understanding, it, it is mostly a shell that's available, you know, uh, in, a, uh, I think it's Azure, but I could be wrong. Um, if you were maybe starting at that point and then connecting to your endpoints, uh, but again, if once you could, like, let's say from Cloud Shell, I connect to a Linux box and it doesn't have any of my settings, I'm back to using the defaults. Um, and I just won't bring myself down to that level. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so you don't, you, yeah. you don't want to sit want, there and wallow with the unwashed masses of, of default usage. No, I just, I, I got to, I got to rib Jordan a little bit while, I, while I'm on. <laughs> Please do. I need all the backup I can get. I don't see why. I think there's only been one person. They didn't agree with me. They just said, Hey, to each their own. I don't think I've had one person agree with me on just defaults. I, I honestly think, I mean, it's, you know, the the what is it? It's like when when people talk about like this is the right way, you know, when you first start to learn, and then eventually you kind of you you learn like it all. It basically the answer is it depends, and like being being able to say like, well, here's the trade offs. Uh, there's a tra- I mean, there's a cost to setting all this up, right? It's not like I can get on the box and, and just start working if I want this, right? Like. There is, I do have to learn how to work in those systems with default, right? There are going to be boxes I get on that I, I don't want to touch and I got to just use the, the you know, live off the land stuff. But, um, 
but in shells and prompts, I'm in daily, daily. Like I like to have it look, look the same and have my nice colors and my little icons and stuff. And, you know, I had a little joy to my day. So I will say, and Andrew's going to take this as a victory. If, if I was in a job where I was doing consistent things like that, I probably would worry about it more, but my job entails learn new thing, teach about new thing, talk about it on the internet. Yep. So everything me starting from a default works because I'm learning something new about it. So if it is specific about PowerShell, the default is what I need and I just add what yep. I want. So for my current work environment is the main driving force for my defaults. If I move to something where I was more DevOps or consistently writing code that would be going in production, I have no doubt that my, my setup would change significantly. Well, and it makes sense, right? Like if I, sh- if I start by, if I start with my setup and, and I show somebody who's brand new, they're going to be like, like, whoa, your thing is totally different than my thing. Like, am I missing prerequisites or, you know, what, what actually applies to what you're trying to teach me versus like your fancy shell. Um, and so, uh, I mean, when I'm, when I'm doing like internal training and stuff like that, I definitely go to like a stock stock thing, right? Like your, your PowerShell prompt will say PS, right? Like I, I know what a state, I know what the standard looks like and I can, and I'll use that for, for, uh, you know, uh, screen captures and stuff like that. Um, so that way that's not an additional barrier that people have to kind of think through, right? Like the easier you make it for people to kind of, you know, get, learn it, the better. So. Dang. Very true. Especially when you're teaching people, like teaching people the super complex fancy setup can be intimidating for beginners too. Um, but yeah, dude, what's been going on in the module world lately? You seen any cool new modules that have been kind of piquing your interest or? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, uh, I, I, I promised I, the next time I'd come on, I'd give like MDGRS a shout out. I know he's gotten one, uh, before with, uh, with James, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like every time I see him release a module, I'm like all over it, and uh, it's uh, it's sort of what it's an you know it's what adds to the you know additional level of like uh, customization that I get to do right. Like one of the problems I had was in one tab I'd be running something, and that would in one uh, one shell right. So I was running something in PowerShell Core, but I needed to run something else in Windows PowerShell, and so they were two different tabs. And the ability to dynamically set the title to show me like, oh, that job had finished and know that, I okay, now that's finished, I can like now proceed to the next thing. And instead of being having to flip back and forth was, you know, it's like that kind of stuff. It's like little things that make, you know, make, you know, work life easier. So. And just so we're clear, you, you came out strong on what the name was, because I know Andrew and I always guess around and you, you can confirm that's actually how we are supposed to be pronouncing it. I swear I saw it either on Twitter, on Mastodon, and I've, I've been trying to find it, but I can't find it. So I'm fairly certain he said that it's, uh, it's just a handle and it, it doesn't have a yeah. pronunciation. So, uh, but you know, I feel like you should guys just have him on and, and he can correct it. I've asked, <laughs> you know, he, he's working on it on his end. I don't think he speaks much English, but you wouldn't. You couldn't tell that from his written word. Very, very well written. But uh, it's a goal of mine to get him on. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, Maybe. I found it. Oh. Okay. Uh, it is. He says, and MDGRS pronouncing alphabets is correct. It's just a handle. Aha! Uh-huh. Look at that. Well, yeah. I, yeah, I was finding like magical Final Fantasy seven ties, and not now the illusion is shattered. Yeah, MDGRS says that they are actually learning, um, improving their English by listening to the podcast. So Sweet. hopefully, we're not leading them astray. I can barely speak it, and they have me on every week. So same, yeah. same. I have a weird accent, so I'm sure it doesn't help. I like your accent. I don't think it's that weird. <laughs> Maybe I'm used to it. But what about PS Readline? Because, you know, we're talking about this. I know you mentioned it a little bit before, but anytime we get the excuse to, I love talking about PS Readline. Yeah. Do you like mess around with it a good amount? Um, yeah. So I definitely stole some of your stuff, uh, your outgrid view um, to show the history. I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, 
sold. I was like, that's a great, that's a great example of like modifying PS read line. Um, I've definitely modified colors, um, a couple of shortcuts just so that they're consistent um, between OSs. But I mean, it's, you know, I, you know, I feel like that's, it's the one module I probably use the most because uh, it's literally like every single uh, interaction with PowerShell is, is leveraging PS Freeline. And it has been for a while, but nowadays I really like where it's at. It just seems like there have been so many helpful contributions over the past few years that it's just such a workhorse now. Yeah. Well, it's uh, funny that we're we're talking about this in, in, in MD, MDGRS, but he was, I don't remember if it was him or somebody else, but they were talking about replicating another Linux tool that shows examples. Um, and that was super interesting um, I was mostly interested because being able to show people work-specific examples would be really nice. Um, and like, if you join a company, you're not going to know all the all the internal modules, right? You, you're not going to know. Excuse me. Um, you're not going to know when to call a module that you know interacts with your internal tool, right? So like. Um, having a way where you can type something kind of simple and then have it return like some examples would be really, really awesome. And uh, when we were talking about it, I, I, I had said, I think this could be accomplished with, with PS Readline um, because I think there was some questions around like trying to do fuzzing and stuff like that. And that's starting to get in the realm of like way more advanced. I'm pretty sure like Jekyll was on that, that thread and like, you know, he, you know, that's like S tier, um, stuff. So I'm, you know, I'm still, I'm just editing my profile. So, <laughs> <laughs> and having fun with it though. That's important. Yeah. This one's not a module, but you do have a GitHub repo for the PowerShell podcast sync. I do. Um, so this was, I probably put it together after I chatted with you guys last. And the, the goal was to actually read the PowerShell uh, RSS feed, um, look at your the descriptions, and look for like uh, like handles either on like Twitter or X um, or Macedon. And then uh, with Twitter having like a list, starting to add basically speakers who have been on the podcast to that list so that people can kind of go and subscribe to that and just like see all the people who have um, chatted with you guys. Um, I was trying to do the same thing with Macedon, but there's not really an equivalent, uh, as far as like a public list. So, um, that repo definitely needs some love. I think that the, because I haven't touched the code, the, um, the action that just runs regularly, basically they're like, Hey, you have a cron, but you haven't touched the code. If you don't touch the code after a certain amount of time, they just pause it. So I got to poke it a little bit and get it running again and maybe try to figure out a, a good answer for what to do for like Macedon users to to make it easy to follow folks. But the important part of that one is the X account, because apparently I can't use Twitter anymore. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the banner for that one is the one where I'm front and center and Andrew is back row. And it's important that we have that one because that's the truth. That's, that's the way this works. <laughs> they had to listen for 26 minutes to get the truth, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Ignore that glowing <laughs> intro that I got earlier. This is how uh, it really goes down between us. Too <laughs> brute. I derailed the conversation, but you know what? It's worth it. I'm happy I did it. No I was waiting. I was waiting for you to ask how often we think about Rome because uh, I just I just quoted uh, Caesar. So, <laughs> uh, are you a often thinker <laughs> i'm not i haven't thought about it much since high school <laughs> i'm not a historian unless it comes to powershell because you know i love hearing about the early days and seeing where things have gotten and now people are life has gotten so good for these powershellers they're they're focused on customizing their prompts and making them fancy and cross-platform can you believe it how far we've come we got modules like mdgrs making everything even fancier. Now that we know how to pronounce it, watch out. <laughs> yeah, constant references now that we know how to pronounce it. 
So you've been doing any uh, RPGing lately? I know you're the guy with the RPG modules. Um, you know, I feel like this is a, a very common story with people who play uh, RPGs. Is like eventually the the group, the, it just like falls off. And I think I ju- I literally like last week was like, it seems like we haven't been able to get together. I'm just gonna assume that like let's just start setting some like actual days instead of assuming we're gonna play every week, uh, and then you know, uh, try to be a little bit more consistent about when we actually get to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I still love all the RPG stuff. It's funny cause I have all these different systems and all these different modules and, um, like the mechanics are super interesting to me, right? Uh, the randomness, I think that's what got me into it anyways. Um, was the fact that a, you know, a, a, role of luck is going to determine what what you what you can do or can't do um and yeah it's like uh and i was like wait i know how to do this in powershell get random that's pretty straightforward like how can i how can i keep doing that um and then when i was uh dming at one point i needed to be able to you know the other classic thing is like so what's the shopkeeper's name and you're like uh you know you, you have to come up with a name on the spot uh, I was like, if I can generate an entire character with a command, you know, that just seemed like a really cool thing to have. Um, and so, yeah. You would need to have varying levels based on the type of character. So, like, if it was a shopkeeper, you know, a threshold for certain stats. Because, I mean, I guess it's not impossible that a shopkeeper would have a low charisma, but they're not going to be a successful one. <laughs> I mean, but tell me that wouldn't be interesting, right? You go into a shop and this shopkeeper is like, totally aloof and like is gonna fall for like a terrible trade like that'd be kind of that'd be a funny encounter to go through right like uh so again this is i mean that's why i love all that randomness is like my brain wouldn't have gone to that but like if that's what i was given like let's roll with it and like this this could be an enjoyable experience even if it's like you know kind of crazy it would require a, a lot of adaptability as dm to, to roll with the, what you got there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tricky. I think one of the systems that I set up was, uh, a system called maze rats. And one of the big things is, um, they talk about, you get a personality type and it kind of has some descriptors about the person. And even though it's a limited subset, the, because there's enough variation between the different things you like reading the three or four different descriptors, you immediately kind of come to mind with like what this person looks like, right? Like, uh, or, you know, what their past was or something. And now you're like, Oh, well, uh, you know, if they're a performer, they're going to be very outlandish and they're going to be using their arms a lot. And, you know, versus like someone who's more meek. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's, a it's, you know, work to, to suddenly in, you know, embody that person on the fly, but <laughs> But it's, you know, that's part of the game. Fair enough. Now, I wanted to ask about your templating. Because last time we talked to you, we talked about templating a whole bunch. And you were were on some stucco. Those were your vibes. Are you still rocking out on stucco? Still working well for you? Customizations? Where are we with things? Yeah. um, It's funny. I, I think at one point I mentioned... Uh, I think probably on X, uh, Twitter at the time, uh, I think somebody was doing a talk on one. I really haven't had a chance to branch out and I've been kind of on the stucco train for a while. Um, Just because I really like Saki and, uh, you know, once I got it working and tweaked, like recently I I published, um, uh, I recently published a couple modules and they were basically stucco based. Um, but I was able to take kind of some of my actions. So like I have an action that publishes the module when it's merged into main. Um, and so if, and I check to see if the version has been bumped. So if you merge into main and the version has been bumped, it just, it just rolls to the PowerShell gallery. Um, and so that means that there's no, I don't gotta, I don't have to worry about, right. Uh, about that stuff. I just make my changes, bump my versions, update the change log. And if, my tests pass and the version is different than what's published. It'll publish it. Nice. I'm 
thinking of some PowerShell summit talk ideas, and one of them has to do with templating. Um, I, I won't say too much because I want to make sure I get it submitted before <laughs> I say it to hundreds of people. Well, it's funny because I've thought about potentially. So GitHub has the idea of like repos that are template repos that you can just copy. Um, I've thought about potentially doing that uh, just because even for myself, because I'm like, I know that the current version version of Stucco has uh, a bug, I think when it was built. And so, you know, if, if, if that's, if you're like, if you see that you, and you're not familiar with that stuff, you might be like, well, I'm just going to move on. But, um, but because I'm, I'm like, oh, I know where all these little, like little, uh, missing bits are. Let me just go put those in place. Um, you know, then, then it becomes a non-issue. But uh, if I had a template, I could, pe that people could just literally copy and paste. And I probably include this, you know, all the stuff that I do, which is, um, using the make docs, publishing the GitHub IO, right. Um, and then publishing in the gallery as part of, you know, the, the, the landing flow. Yeah. Last week we talked to Joel Bennett about GitOps and kind of doing things based around checking in code and kind of a pipeline. He talked a lot about kind of how Kubernetes figures into those things, but it sounds like you are sort of doing that approach for a lot of things, right? Check in code and then maybe you can speak to what kind of setups you got going on. Yeah. So I have, uh, so for example, on the module repos, um, I set up a GitHub action that runs the the test suite on every check-in, right? And it not not only does it run every test, uh, but it runs it on uh, Mac, Windows, and Linux. And so it's pretty cool because it it's super quick. Uh, well, I mean, I it takes a few seconds to do each, and then you know time for the boxes to get spun up. But what's nice is even on a pull request, when those um, when those tests run, sometimes I'll be writing on a Windows machine and then find out, oh yeah, there's a there's a weird you know um, edge case in Mac where you know I assumed the type was there or or something right, um, and and I've caught some of that stuff by being able to run those tests, and so once I see all the tests pass, you know I know that when I merge it into main the tests are still going to pass and now I can land successfully. And so that means that it also makes it so that if anybody wants to contribute, um, it becomes very easy to say like, even if they don't test themselves, as soon as they open a PR, the test will run anyways. And that stuff, um, there's another action I leverage to publish the test results. And so I can see, Hey, you have some tests that are failing. Let's go take a look. Oh, it, you know, you have, you know, your this doesn't work on this OS or whatever, whatever the the, the failures uh, result of. But so, if I tried to submit to that, I'm pretty sure there's all get what your code's garbage go away. <laughs> I don't think they have that action yet. Oh, oh uh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> maybe that. Maybe I got to make that one. That's an April Fool's action right there. But <laughs> let me go through this again with you real quick, just to kind of help people who are more beginners, because we're all about people getting into GitHub and, sure. and getting involved. And I know whenever I first got started. You look at a module and you're like, all right, I know PS1 files, maybe yeah. PSM ones and PSD ones I can handle. But you look at some of these um, repositories and there's a dot tests or, or whatever folder. Mm -hmm. And there's all these like source folder and, and all this kind of stuff that can be pretty confusing. Um, but from what you're describing right here, it sounds like, so they got their repository, they got their code. They're also probably going to have like some kind of folder that has their tests that get run by the GitHub action, right? Does that sound Correct. about right? Yes. Okay, so cool. So then like whenever you check in new code or you, you try and do a pull request, that can trigger an action. And I guess in this instance, you're using GitHub actions. And that GitHub actions kind of just runs some code that you have it do. And yeah. the testing one would just kind of run some code that says, hey, grab this folder, grab these tests and run it. Yeah, so uh, I think part of the reason why I've really, I've stayed with Stucco um, and one of the reasons like I've, I've you know, maybe a little uh, heavy of a word. I fell in love with it was because um, <laughs> the, VS, the VS Code actions, so uh, the VS Code stuff that you get means that if you're working in VS Code, you can actually run tasks, and one of the tasks is build, and one of the tasks is test. And so that means on my local box, 
even before I submit a PR or anything, I can run the, the same exact test. So uh, I, I feel like lately in the last few weeks, I, I keep like shouting about how much I love test-driven development <laughs> um, because I will go and write the, I'll go write the test and I'm like, I know this is what it should look like. And then running the code and being like, oh, wait, I just realized because of the way that this array is getting built, that this fails. And like, I don't think I would have, if I just pushed the code, you know, I thought my code was good. Right. I, you know, um, but like being able to run the test and be like, actually, uh, it broke something was really nice. So, um, that, that, um, that development cycle of being able to like, you know, save your code, run the test, save your code, run the test, like is really nice. And then the GitHub action literally just runs that same exact thing. Um, except on, you know, machines that aren't yours, that isn't, isn't, you know, it worked on my box. Like that's not a problem anymore. It's now it worked on, you know, GitHub's boxes. And now you can prove that, you know, there isn't some weird transitory thing on your machine that is affecting it. So. Yeah, I dig that a lot. You know, you're talking about test driven development and writing tests and all that kind of thing. And, you know, earlier we were talking about prompts and how, you know, there is some initial investment and maybe for some people it's not worth it and this and that. Whereas, you know, what we're talking about here with test-driven development and the way that you're handling your code and stuff, it's not so much a thing that we can just be like, oh no, it's too much of an investment. It's too valuable. It's the correct way of doing things. It's the type of investment that you kind of have to do to have an okay environment you're working in. Um, but you still reap huge benefits where you're able to, as you're speaking to, develop new code easier, right? You can test your things locally. It, you can verify, kind of sanity check yourself, and that's just part of it. But there is definitely an initial learning curve to figuring out how that will all work and going through creating your first project. Um, but I think using stucco is a great way to start exploring that. But when you're looking at repositories, um, at least for me, I found a ton of value when I could actually start understanding what everything was for, yeah, what all the different folders were for. Yeah, I think that's maybe one of those things that uh, is lacking. And I and it's probably true also for some of my module repos is to describe, like, here's what each folder does. Um, funny enough, even within a work, th at a work thing, uh, at a coworker who's leveraging um, Saki to to do a build and their folder structure was not intuitive to me. And so the first thing I did was, and they didn't have a readme. So the first thing I did was I started a readme and I was like, okay, this folder contains this stuff. And, and I'm like trying to dissect it and like, but putting it in a doc so that the next person who reads it is like, Oh, I actually don't need to worry about those folders or like, I should only touch these folders if I absolutely have to. Um, but I think, the there's a huge benefit to to having like automated testing because it it gives the end user confidence that they're not breaking stuff right like i remember one of the i remember the time code uh um code spaces blew me away i was working on a go project i was like i saw something in go and i was like oh they're they're calling something incorrectly on windows and i've never i hadn't built anything in go before but i was able to go to that repo, make the change. They had tests. Um, and because they were leveraging a dev container, everything was there and I didn't need to set that up. And then as soon as I, I closed that and, and you know, that code spaces went away, my box didn't have a bunch of extra cruft on it, right? Like that was such a nice experience. And I was like, this is, this is the way, like I got to make this how all my, you know, open source projects look like. Um, which, funny enough, I'm going to be going to ChefConf uh, very soon, and that's one of the things I'm really going to be kind of pushing is like, how do we make the developer experience easier for, you know, users who aren't maybe on the OS that we're expecting, right? Like, Ruby stuff on Windows is is hard, <laughs> and so uh, like being able to have a dev container that has all that stuff and can automatically run tests when you're, you know, when you save would be really nice. Agreed. I, I think that the more attention we pay to any experience, developer experience, user experience, usually seems to be pretty useful efforts. Um, and, you know, a lot of what we talk about here is our 
IT user developer experience of how we use PowerShell, how we leverage it, the different tools in our tool belt, how VS Code is configured for us. If we have testing configured over time, that stuff becomes so important, like on a one week thing, whatever. But like, if you think about the rest of your career, 10 years, potentially, you could be able to be positively influenced by a workflow change. Yeah, I think uh, I learned a bunch from doing this, right? Like once I once I got once I learned the VS Code stuff, I was like, wait a second, I could do this in a bunch of repos. Like we do ask people to, you know, if it says in a wiki, go run this command, it's like, why not make that more obvious to to the person who's working on that code, right? Like or automatic, right? Um, if you can do that, that makes the barrier to entry a lot lower. And like when you when it happens automatically, that's even better, right? It's it's now it's like even if they didn't read the docs and they edited code and they submitted, the fact that the tests still run now gives you at least confidence that hey, stuff didn't like you as the reviewer know that stuff didn't break, um, and the contributor didn't need to necessarily know all the details of the project, right? Like they don't need to know how testing works; they just need to know that a test ran and it was successful. Now we can definitely ask, say, Hey, you're adding something. Let's consider adding a test, but you know, it's a good starting point of, you know, uh, at least we know stuff didn't get broken. Yeah. And you said that VS code stuff. And I think that oh, you sorry. might be referring yeah. to the dot VS code folder. Yes. Correct. It is like, if you put that in your project root, whatever mm -hmm. VS code knows to like look inside that folder for some settings and other things like that. I think that's how the tasks are configured. Um, and really you can configure right. quite a bunch of stuff. It's a very cool tool and you can implement that with your own customized stuff internally and really make your stuff fancy. Yeah. So, uh, so you can do things like, um, settings. So set settings, uh, VS code settings for this particular, uh, workspace. So let's say for example, you have a different coding style than maybe what most folks use, right? Um, you ODBS. can actually, yeah, exactly. Uh, you can go set that. Um, you can set that in uh, in the configuration. You can do things like recommend uh, extensions. So that was something yeah. that was, that's very helpful, uh, right? Like uh, if people aren't normally working on PowerShell and so they're in a PowerShell, uh, you know, a repository with PowerShell code, to say, hey you should consider uh, installing the PowerShell um, uh, extension is, is super helpful, right? Like, you know, these are things that, you know, how would you let a user know otherwise, like or, or, or a developer know otherwise? Uh, and, you know, VS Code offers some very handy ways to, to kind of do that. Yeah, and on the super low end, you know, I know we're talking about developers and all this and that, but like say you're just an IT person with some scripts, and you have someone else you're working with or you want to train someone else on your team, the easier you can make this, the more likely they will be actually contributing code, yep. right? And, and these user experience or developer experience things do make a difference. They really do. Um, I, I personally have experienced it. I had a lot of success with using VS Code tasks as part and combined with like some plaster stuff to help people write new functions. Um, but using those tasks is so huge and configuring their settings for them when possible and making it consistent again out of this world. And then you don't have to do as much work. That's what I like about it. It's like you train other people, like they can help you out now. I want to know what Jordan thinks. So <laughs> what I think is that uh, I so rarely have to contribute to anything that I can see the value on the outside looking in, but I don't experience it, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, to me, the big selling point is like, I don't have to know anything. I, if I see some code, I think, I think I can kind of figure out what this code does. And I think I just need to tweak this one thing. If, if that's all I do and everything else around it ensures that it's safe. And I know that you're making it like you just, when I, submit that PR, you made sure that I didn't break everything. For me, that's re relief, right? Like if I don't know how to build a Go binary and like, well, I'm like, oh man, like how do I know that my code isn't going to break everything? Like giving that answer is now I'm way more likely to contribute, right? Like that just makes, makes it easier for, to kind of get started. So I am curious because a lot of the stuff we talk about 
all these processes and everything and you put a lot of work into it and once it's in place it's fantastic but does how mature your organization is towards like a devops structure change how much effort you're going to need to put in to get these in place or is as long as you get started eventually everything will be better what's what's the guess best way to look at it so the thing we haven't really talked about explicitly but it sort of is alluded to with github actions is like a cicd right uh continuous integration and uh continuous delivery if your organization does not have cicd it's sort of like you're still going to have to go and run these things by hand and that makes the value proposition you know less uh less great it's still good right like let's say i don't have cicd but you submit code and then i can pull your code and then run the test myself that there's still value there but now i'm pulling every request down and, and running tests or asking you hey when you submit your your request your pr include your test results um but if you have cicd you know uh there's all all sorts of cicd out there um the the value is uh pretty quick um like i think even stucco has a few uh, options right like if you have app fair or github actions or um i'm forgetting all the all the cicd tools but um as long as there's you know a, a way for you to call that same script the way that you know the build like calling the build script with the right flags you will see benefit right so no matter what there's going to be value within it maybe less value up front if it's new to it but it's a starting point to where you can you start with some value that just going to grow exponentially. So it's, it's yeah. worth doing no matter where your organization is. I think, uh, honestly, even just alone for the te- the tests make a huge difference, uh, especially if we're talking about modules. The amount of times I saw people modify modules and the module didn't actually, like it would fail to load. And it happened to load because they loaded it once and then they changed something and it, then it stopped loading. That one test alone is like, it's a silly test. It, it we could just be like, "Hey, start a new shell, load it." But like, every time you add a process that a person has to go do by hand, there's a higher chance that they're not going to do it, and then now you're introducing risk. Like I've seen that happen where suddenly a module gets pushed and then it doesn't load anywhere, and then it's like, "Uh oh, we got to go and fix that." And when it when you have a build process like this, you can at least run your test and say, "Okay, I know at least it'll load." And if that's if that's you know the beginning, that's a, at least a decent beginning. Hey, I'd say that you know for some people out there, they may not even be using any source control yet. Yeah. So if for sure, even if you're just like a lone scripter, start checking your stuff into uh, source control. Like use GitHub or figure out whatever your company already has. If not, you know, explore some stuff. But you need to be checking in your code because that liability is really huge if things go wrong and to recover. It is just, there's such a huge ROI to go from none to some. And then once you have um, that, you can start exploring CICD. But you got to have your code in a repository. It's actually one of the first projects I, um, I really did it as a contractor um, at Meta was like the IT department was, you know, running off of a, you know, a share. And I just kept seeing dot back files. And I was like, you know, this is what I would normally do, but I'm pretty sure this is not the right thing to do. Uh, And again, this is 10 plus years ago. Right. Uh, And so I was like, we should, we should, you know, these other organizations are a little bit more mature are doing, you know, even at the company we're, we're doing actual like, code commits, why aren't we doing this? So I, for a very short period of time, had the most code commits to this one repo because I checked in all the code. I was like, I'm just going to check all the code. Please start committing code here. Um, but it made it made a huge difference in you know, reverting, right? Sometimes you make a change to code, it gets pushed out, and the problem doesn't show up right away. It shows up later. And you're like, wait a second, what changed? Being able to go and look at that in, in, uh, in Git or Mercurial or heaven forbid SVN, uh, it still provide it provides value, right? To say, oh, well, if I revert it back to this, does it work again? Okay, we know that's the problem. Um, plus I'm, you know, ADHD, super forgetful, being able to say, oh, you know, I did commit this, uh, or I did, you know, or I have a partial commit that I haven't, you know, published. Um, 
where was I? Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't finish doing this right. Um, if you're editing a live file, like that becomes <laughs> that becomes trickier. Yeah, it takes the burden off of each employee who works with any code or infrastructure whatsoever and puts it on the system, right? Like you can now rely on this CI CD and, and kind of related systems to offload all of those manual checks, all of the additional burden. Um, so then, I mean, just the more you can get bought, at least for me, the more you can get bought into that idea of like, Hey, we are building and maintaining an awesome system that can continue to get better, make our lives easier, make our product better, make development easier, blah, blah, blah. Like, I just love that. You can buy into that and you don't have to be like the absolute smartest genius every second of the day in order to not have things go wrong. Good. Cause that's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> so we're missing probably the most important and it's money. If you have a immature development where no one's doing any of that and you start putting those processes in place and you can show the value that you've performed from that, it's a lot easier to go in the future. Every time I say, Hey, give me money maybe be more tactful i'm not going to tell you how to go about it but it's a it's a pretty good chip i also feel like a lot of companies are sort of almost requiring that now it's like you should know how to do this um and i feel like if if you're out there and you're this is you know unfamiliar start with github right it's free uh test checking in a you're making a repo and testing and checking in some files right um you know, there, there's definitely modules out there. There's, I mean, more than modules, right? There's a bunch of repositories out there that have um, opportunities for, you know, a beginner to kind of go in and, and get their hands dirty. And to be honest, even if you get it wrong, you can't, uh, you can't really break it that bad, right? Like, you know, assuming the repository has some safeguards in place, like I won't let you force into ma- into main. So you know, you could, you could go and mess with my repo and, and check in stuff. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's still somebody who, who has to double check and, and approve it. So the risk is very low. And it opens up the world to you. You know, you can get involved in things. You can start understanding code that you're looking at. You can start contributing more ideas. It just takes away so many barriers that could be between you and your next job or your next helpful work friendship or your next public contributions to a project, which can now sort of act as your resume, right? Like a working resume by doing more public things. Um, I think that's one really positive aspect of the whole blogging and speaking and doing things in public thing is that you can kind of prove that you know what you know without having to have a super long resume that tries to sway. Your work speaks for itself. Uh, I was thinking of... um... And we, when we chatted a little bit before, I was talking about how uh, how nervous I was the last time and, and how nervous I was this time. But that you know we had to do some. We had, sometimes you get just got to do the hard things. Uh, I'm trying to remember the quote, but there's a there's this quote about um, one of the fears of of going out and showing yourself, you know, as a professional, is that now you're on the hook to be that person from now on. Um, but I think understanding that we're all learning and that it's okay to make mistakes, right? Like, I think the the thing I say on my blog is like, this is not the way it's a way. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than open to hearing people tell me like, you know, actually there's a better way to do this. Um, that's how I'm going to get better. Right. Like, I, you know, so it's, it's okay to go out there, say something, you know, write a blog or whatever, present. And if you get something wrong, it's okay. Like you can grow from that. Right. Like, it just it's I think part of being a professional. Your website contains quite a few quotes that are along that vein. You've got the perfection is the enemy of progress and not just good, good enough. That one is by the way fantastic. I like that. Uh, I, I don't know if you know that actually comes from uh, the crusty brand. <laughs> oh, does it? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, uh the crusty burgers, not just good, good enough. Um <laughs> uh, but I mean that sort of came stemmed from the like uh, from the idea of like ship and iterate, like maybe this is not a hundred percent of where I want it, but like if I can make progress, like it's easier to, to take small chunks than it is to try to accomplish everything uh, like a hundred percent. 
And to your point about being open to new ideas and not always having to have the absolute perfect answer at the time, the most successful people and the people that you'll want to work with as your career progresses um, are okay with that. They're okay mm-hmm. with people making mistakes. They appreciate the honesty and can trust that. So I know that uh, maybe it was earlier in my career or whatever. I know there's some environments that um, aren't as with it and maybe are a little bit more toxic. So if you're in one of those, that's it's not your fault. Um, but yeah, it's just so much better to be authentic, be yourself, be honest whenever you see things. And when you learn sort of in public and are, are sharing things, you allow others to give that feedback and kind of ensure that you're on the right track. But if you just keep it all inside forever, you could be going the wrong direction for a very, very long time. So Andrews has performed a miracle. Since Goodwill Hunting, most people can't say it's not your fault one time and then move on. You have to repeat it four to five times. So that's impressive. (laughs) Thank you, Jordan. All right. Well, as... Not only just a long time friend of the podcast, but a returning guest. You know exactly what's coming next. It's the part that everyone dreads. You think you're ready. You're like, oh, I've done this before. I'm ready. You're not ready. You're not ready, but we're still going to give you the common parameters. Are you ready? No, I am ready. not. Oh, see? I got you. I got you. Uh, I'm ready, uh, but I'm going to need a few minutes. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. what's, uh, what's one time something went wrong while on the job, and what did you learn from it? Um. I actually don't remember if you guys asked me the common parameters. I don't think you guys had common parameters last time I was on. And I always think about these questions every time I listen to the podcast. Um, and yet, <laughs> so it's funny. Cause I was thinking of as a, as a professional, the, the ones that always come to mind are data loss. And I think that's kind of a recurring theme that usually most folks talk about. Um, so like, even before I was professional, I remember helping a friend's dad um, re-image a, a drive, but I had like I didn't disconnect the secondary drives, and something about the tool wiped all the drives. And um, they had just gotten a bunch of pictures, uh, a new baby pictures from from their um, from one of their kids, and I remember that was like I was absolutely gutted that I like lost that for them. Um, luckily, they were able to recover it, um, but I think. Uh, you know, I've had my fair share of, of, you know, mistakes. I think we were joking about one that I just had, uh, yesterday where I sent a prompt to a bunch of folks, uh, at my company that didn't need to see that prompt. Um, but you know, you, you, you know, you admit the mistake, you, um, do your comms, you, you know, you apologize, uh, and you, you, you correct the problem, right? Uh, I mean, within, within, under 30 minutes of seeing what the problem was, we, we, you know, fixed it and, um, you know, got that, got that resolved. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's like, that's not ideal, but I think the data loss stuff is always hard, right? It's like, I, especially when it's not your own data, I think it's like, I, I always feel like sad about that. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, I'd like to avoid that at all costs. Are we ready for the second common parameter? I hope I'm so ready. And (laughs) Gilbert nails question one. Like he is doing way better than we expected. So it works so far. I've been practicing. How many episodes is this? This is like uh, 80 something. 80 something, 88. Yeah, you know, 80 80 something listens of of these questions. I I sit there on my drive to work and think about it. You know, it's like, man, what? Where did, you know? Well, I I tell this one 11 million and 12, but that doesn't feel right. (laughs) All right. So, second common parameter. With everything you know now, all of that knowledge, you've accumulated so much. What would you like to tell your younger self when you're first starting? Uh, I'm going to hit you guys with another quote. Uh, perfection is procrastination masquerading as quality control. That, I think, slowed me down a lot in the beginning of like, I think, and and this is makes a lot of sense as, a, as somebody who's starting off and seeing some folks who like contribute amazing code and you're like i don't you, know, you think that you, people are going to go and pull you guys you know both code up and they're gonna be like oh you know it's not as good as this guys but that's not really what happens um and it's better to ship and iterate right like i, I like i mentioned it's um it's okay to to not get it all at once um and so 
there was definitely a lot of stuff that like, in fact, these posts, these blog posts sat, you know, ha- mostly written for like a month or two. Right. And it just became one of those things where it's like, I just got to land it, you know? And if I make a mistake, that's okay. I can fix it. Right. Like I just edit the blog. Like what's, what's, what's the big deal. Right. Like we often think that the result is going to be worse than what it would actually be. Like, what's the worst that could happen if I, you know, say something incorrect on my blog, somebody's just going to comment saying, no, you know, at worst, they're going to call me an idiot. And, you know, I've been called worse. So, you know, I'll live. Um, or, you know, people are actually, what is more likely is people are going to be friendly and going to say, oh, actually, you know, I think this piece is, you know, you, you said this, but I don't think that's accurate. Um, and that's cool. Cause like now I'm going to learn. Right. So, um, yeah, take the risk, uh, um, you know, ship and iterate. Don't, don't wait for that perfect thing because, uh, it's not very likely to come. And what you think is perfect is probably not what actually is, what actually is perfect. Dang, you're dropping wisdom on us. And I, I love that approach because to me, it's sort of is like getting involved in the community in any form, even internally at work or whatever. Like when you start sharing that, you take all of the burden off of yourself, kind of like what we mentioned with like using CICD. Like you're now part of this bigger thing where there can be a larger conversation and you can learn from your mistakes. And the more you can not just internalize it, the better. Those car rides were, were worth it, man. You were mulling it Time well spent. <laughs> for, for all those work from home people, look what you're missing out on. <laughs> all right. Last one. Are you ready? Let's do it. I just had to write a blog on this, so I, uh, I can confirm this one is impossible. Uh, what are your three of your favorite modules? Um, this one is always tricky, right? Like... And I, and I had to go and, and look at what modules do I actually, in my repository, do I install first? Um, uh, dynamic title is uh, MDGRS, right? Um, I mentioned even how it's useful to me, right? In that I can have it set the title to something that, that gives me information while I'm working on another title. Um, the console GUI tools, um, I love uh, I love TUIs. So... Uh, if I don't have to do another prompt where I got to mouse over to it, that's ideal. Um, and then the third one is uh, PS style, uh, which I believe uh, uh, Sean wrote. And that one backports PS style back to PowerShell 5 or, or Windows PowerShell rather. And for I'm, I'm over here doing all these customizations. Some of that is coloring and sometimes, and so often that's PS style because I, just like that, um, the way that that's formatted. Um, and so being able to backport that to five or uh, to windows power show is like very handy. Um, but it's funny cause it's a, you know, it's not a super complex mo- uh, module that's doing a bunch of crazy stuff. It's literally just setting some colors and it makes my life easier. <laughs> I do like that. Fair answer. So, I, I used to think that was a, a softball question and then I missed the deadline for that blog over and over and the first one that I highlighted was ps readline and and the issue wasn't oh i can't come up with content for it it was i didn't want to cut anything out and it's like well i have limited yeah. words it was that blog was the most difficult thing i've written in the seven and a half years i've been yeah. here and and so here i'm just lobbing that question thinking it was a softball and i apologize yeah. to all previous <laughs> guests well what's what's funny is ps readline leverages these three modules, like I end up leveraging these modules through PS Readline in a lot of ways, right? So, um, you know, like we mentioned earlier, uh, to me, it's, you know, it is, it is there every day, right? Like it is, you know, it's, it's the hand that guides us in, in our PowerShell journey. That should be a t-shirt. I like it. <laughs> I like Design it. insurance, dropping wisdom. <laughs> three points to Gryffindor on those questions. By the way, man, you, you knocked it out of the park. So you have been a long-time listener. You were the first to comment when I first started the intros to the shill. Uh, I believe way back when, what, what did I say? Andrew's going to usher in the second golden age of eloquence. <laughs> and you, com- you commented on that when you're the first person. That's when I knew I had to keep go- going with it. 
uh, I think uh, for the people who love it, I, I, if you want to thank me, you're welcome. <laughs> for the people who hate it, I'm so sorry. If there are people and if I, they I, are, they're, they're, yeah. they're crazy because this is uh, one of the, my favorite parts. But I, I will say this. You may think that as you've been here before, you're, you're ready. You're like, oh, I've been there for the shilling before. It's no big deal. But let me just, I'm going to give you a heads up. You're not ready because each time is majestic. It's every time Andrew starts to shill, it's like your first time seeing the ocean. It's just an experience that changes you forever. And uh, you get a two-time pleasure to watch a generational talent spin pure gold. Take it away, Andrew. Breathe in the fresh air, everybody. It's been another amazing episode of the PowerShell podcast delivered by your glorious hosts, Andrew Plotek, DevOps Jordan, and boy, we had a great guest today. But before we get to that, give us a like, comment, and a subscription. Hit us up with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. Jordan, we're everywhere. Did you know that? I, Worldwide. I, I heard the rumors, yeah. We got a, even a PowerShell podcast sync project out there by some amazing listener. Might be one of our favorite guests ever. Who knows? Um, if you want to give some feedback to Jordan and I, PowerShellPTQ.com. We love hearing from you. We also have at PowerShell Pod on Twitter. If you want to tap in a little bit more and become part of our uh, Discord community, we have a PDQ Discord with the PowerShell channel. Love to see you there. You can find me there quite regularly. Um, thank you so much, Gilbert, for joining us today. You, you knocked it out the park. Those were some of the best uh, common parameter answers ever. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, so I'm usually, hey, it's Gilbert on most things. Um, but I do have a website links.gilbertsanchez.com um, where I link to all the, all the social stuff. Um, so that, that's a great way to find links to Mastodon X, etc. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Um, I'm going to end with a personal guarantee. Uh, the next time you're a guest, I'm going to introduce you correctly. No mistakes. <laughs> no, I was just going to ask. I was like, um, I, I also need you guys to schedule me in for more time so I can beat uh, Mr. Stephen Judd. Oh, uh, snap. Good Editor category. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, take care. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Two kinds of flavor, two kinds of crunch. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. <laughs>